and welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. We're continuing our request month with Tremors, which was a 1990 film, and this was requested by longtime listener Francis. So thank you, Francis, for requesting what was uh, really one of my childhood favorites. Actually, it's funny. I, I remember renting this movie. I remember a lot of people renting this movie. I remember the posters being up in the rental stores. And then as I was reading through the trivia, um, and maybe it was on Wikipedia, I'm not sure, it mentioned that this, although this movie did make a little bit of money back, um, it was a bit of a box office disappointment. Although it went in like at sixth place when it came out, um, but it made back like four or five times um, its theatrical run in VHS rentals. It was like the most popular rental in 1990. So yeah, yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. We we all knew this movie. We all watched it a lot. It was a, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and it's a really good, I think, film that blends horror and comedy together in a really, really good way. It's not too funny and it's not too scary. It just is what it needs to be in any given scene. And it all works really quite well, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, we've we've put off doing this a little bit, and I think the only reason that I was a little bit hesitant to to do it is just because I've seen this movie so many times. Like, <laughs> I I couldn't even tell you how many times I've seen it. it I, I rented it and watched it when I was a kid, and for a long time it played on cable regularly, and I watched it a bunch of times, but when uh, we were you know, picking movies to do for request month. This is one that our friend had mentioned a couple of times. And so uh, we decided to finally go through with it. And it was fun to sit down and watch again from beginning to end. It is a, a fun movie. It's really reminiscent to me of, it's kind of a throwback to the B movies of the 1960s, the monster movies of the 1960s. Yeah. It, captures that vibe really well while at the same time like you said really balancing out um the comedy and it's just it's well executed it's good acting and and fun practical effects and uh, it's really got a lot going for it it does and and it's actually kind of a family-friendly movie there's there's a little bit of blood but it's mostly monster blood the creature effects are pretty terrifying at times and i guess uh, from time to time, some of the killings are a little. If you if you're old enough to imagine yourself in that situation, it's pretty terrifying. But um, you know, as a kid, I think you know we, we all watched this together. It was one of those kind of movies, and I was also surprised to hear that this initially got an R rating. Yeah. The only reason that um, it got a PG-13 is at the last minute they decided that they wanted to go for something a little more family friendly, and and the reason it was uh, R mainly was language, and so yeah, <laughs> this was something that was blatantly obvious to me watching this now because it's been ages i probably the last time i saw this i was probably a teenager yeah but blatantly obvious to me now how many f words have been changed or overdubbed (laughs) yeah into more ridiculous words (laughs) yeah like mother humper and stuff yeah but it it almost even kind of adds to the charm of it to to me a little bit because the it's you know the what they redubbed over all of the f words they got really creative and i mean yeah it, it's it's now as an adult uh, it's very obvious to me but uh i don't even know if i noticed at the time i just thought it was funny i just thought they were using funny words <laughs> yeah, my f- my favorite line is when one of the characters uh kills a graboid and then uh, he gets on the radio and it's like we killed it you got that we killed that mother humper come back <laughs> Uh, roger that, 
that, Bert, and uh, congratulations. Be advised, however, there are two more, repeat, two more mother humpers. <laughs> <laughs> it, so it works better that way. It sure does. And I think what, what really makes this film work for, for me is the, the characters. They're so well drawn, mm-hmm. and you kind of like them all especially the chemistry between our two leads, uh, Earl and Valentine. Uh, Val is played by Kevin Bacon. Um, aside from Flashdance, this might be the movie that I, even to this day, have most associated with Kevin Bacon. Well, it's interesting that you associate Flashdance with Kevin Bacon since he's not in that movie. <laughs> what am I saying? You're, prob- you're probably thinking of Footloose would be my Thank guess. you, Footloose. <laughs> Footloose. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't know, you know, this this movie came out in 1990, Uh, I think it was slated for release in 1989, but it got pushed back, and I don't remember, you know, uh, Footloose was earlier in the 80s, but not a lot, and Kevin Bacon is still looking very young and fresh-faced in this movie, and it's a lot of fun to see him kind of in his glory days, not to say that he's not still, I mean, he's still a very handsome man, still very successful, but uh, what was funny to me in reading about this was that he took this movie and they started filming, and um, at one point he collapsed in front of his wife (laughs) in tears and said, I can't believe that my career has come to this. I can't believe that I'm making a movie about giant killer underground worms. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) at the moment, he kind of felt like it was a low in his career. He's, He's since come to embrace it. In fact, just last year, or I don't know, my sense of time is so skewed anymore, but recently, within the last couple of years, um, they tried to get a uh, TV series going on sci-fi. There actually was a TV series years ago on sci-fi, but they were trying to do a new one, and Kevin Bacon was involved and was going to reprise his role and was going to star in it, and they filmed the pilot, and then it got canned uh, it didn't get picked up so um he's oh, since come to embrace it but at the time yeah and then earl is played by uh, a guy named fred ward who you'd recognize uh, if you saw him yeah uh, he's he's been in a lot of different things um but again this is the one movie that i most associate him with maybe it just came at the right time in my life or it's the one that's really stuck with me the most and they just have a chemistry on screen you know they're two handymen out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, they're out in the middle of Nevada in this town called Perfection that has a population of 14. It's just a store and some houses and like a trailer and then some couple's bunker. (laughs) <laughs> like like end of the world bunker, right? And that's it. And uh, and and they, I don't know how they get so many jobs there. I, you know, I just, yeah. this is the thing that you know you just kind of have to just suspend your disbelief that this town of fourteen people is so busy, and that everybody has these dis- very distinct jobs and things to do. <laughs> I guess, but you know, it, just from the very beginning, we're introduced to them, and Kevin Bacon turns around. He's just you know taking a leak off the side of a cliff, and he um, shakes his buddy. Uh, awake in the back of a pickup and he's sleep where he's sleeping and he falls out the back and says you asshole and, and makes a comment about a stampede because the first thing he sees is, is you know cows standing there uh, and then they just have this repartee you know this dialogue back and forth and it, what's really neat about this movie I think it's very well written in that there are lots of little moments that have payoffs later 
comments that are made, things that are said, um, situations that happen that later on have a, have a payoff. And some of them are, are so clever that you kind of forget about them. But this is one that comes at the very end, is his comment about a stampede. Um, but but they also have this game that they where they whenever you know they're arguing they settle all their arguments or disagreements by playing rock, paper, scissors. And it seems mm-hmm. like Val always wins. <laughs> no, he always loses. I'm sorry. Val's... Yeah. <laughs> you're right. It seems like Val always loses. And so he's kind of the cockier, younger of the two. Uh, and then yeah. Earl is the older, supposedly wiser one. But really, they're they're pretty well equals, you know, in this, in, in there. And they, they, you know, I know guys like this, and they played it just like people I know. Just... Good old boys who just go out and they know how to to get stuff done with their hands and work hard. Yeah, and their goal is to get out of perfection. Basically, they're they've right. about had it by the time we're there. They just feel like they have they can't do any more, and they want to go to nearby Bixby. Yeah, the other thing, and and I totally agree with you that those two guys. You know, I think that it just comes from the fact that they're both good actors and and we believe their relationship they just seem very comfortable with one another you believe that these guys are friends and and have been for a long time and mm-hmm. that's cool but the uh other characters you know it's such a small town and i we see the entire population because there's only 14 of them granted at least one of them n- is dead <laughs> the first time we meet them, and some of them uh, are dispatched uh, rather quickly. Just even um, the supporting cast. Oh yeah, they're they seem like you know real people. They seem like small town people, and like you said, they're all likable. You know, well, most of them. There's one pain in the butt kid and that's his job to be the pain in the butt kid melvin and he's super annoying and gets on everybody's nerves uh but even that is a little bit endearing yeah um but i i just and there are some really good people in here like uh michael gross from family ties Uh, michael gross filmed the last episode of family ties and started this movie like the next day or something like that and uh he was you know that was a huge show uh when it was on and so he was definitely uh, a familiar face in households across America. So he plays um, Bert. His wife, Heather, is played by Reba McIntyre in her first film role. And Reba McIntyre is an amazingly talented uh, musician, country singer, uh, and, and songwriter. But she totally pulls her weight here. I mean, she, she does. She plays her part very naturally. Uh, and, you know, she seems like a very real person. And, and they've got good chemistry. You know, like, it's not like they're some romantic, you know, it's not a lovey-dovey type thing, but you totally buy them as husband and wife, and um, she does a really great job, and, you know, just everybody. I I don't want to go through everybody, but uh, there's a guy named Miguel, a Hispanic guy played by Tony Gennaro, who's really endearing. Um, There's a mom and daughter. Nancy is the mom. The daughter is Mindy, played by Ariana Richards, who would very soon go on to play the young blonde girl in Jurassic Park. A guy who runs the store, he run, Chang's General Store, the only store in town, 
played by Victor Wong, who mm. you would totally recognize from lots of any movie that had Asian people in it in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, Victor <laughs> Wong was in it. That's um, right. I remember him specifically from The Golden Child. He was hilarious in that movie. Oh, yeah. I think of Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But he totally recognizable, especially if you're a kid of the 80s. And it's a really nice ensemble. The movie is tight, Super you know, and that it's all pretty much in one location. It's this relatively small cast of characters. Uh, and it all takes place over just a couple days. I don't know. It, it works, you know. I believe this little town of perfection and these little folks that live there and, and that they <laughs> would look out for one another. It's, it's, it's cute. It is. <laughs> It's economical. The script is very economical. It shows us a lot in a very short period of time without having to tell us too much. Everything unfolds very naturally from the beginning to the point where it, the story is really flying by up to the point where it gets really serious with the monsters. And even then, it's moving you know, at a, at a nice pace. But uh, it doesn't take long to set up these guys in their pickup, and they decide they're going to leave town. And it's funny. It's funny the way they do it. But in the meantime, they're going around, and, and they're hitting pretty much every character in the in the town. Mm-hmm. They go into Chang's store and they have a conversation and uh, that's when Bert and his wife are sitting in there and they have a quick chat and we kind of set them up and Melvin, the boy, is kind of like the boy who cried wolf. He's always yeah. um, being super annoying and then playing really mean pranks on people and He's always on everybody's last nerve. Uh, and then, of course, the Nancy and Mindy. Uh, there's a guy named Nestor who seems to come in a little later. Maybe we see a snippet of him in the beginning, but he might be the only character, really, that's not very well drawn. You almost wonder if there was a scene or two with him that got yeah. cut out of the final show, because he's in there, and he's really in, in some pivotal scenes, but he, you almost forget, like... It's like, oh, where, where did this guy come from? <laughs> right, right. By the time he is. Um, but yeah, it goes through all this, and they finally they're on this job, and they're taking out the septic tank um, mess into a truck, and it spurts all over them while they're talking about it. Now, what's the one thing that's going to make us finally leave? <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the next shot is them piling everything in the back of their pickup. And it's funny, because they take off out of the town, and, uh, and it's like they are the ones who encounter one thing after another that leads them to turn back around and come back and warn everybody that there's a problem. Right. And and along the way, they also uh, meet Rhonda, who is a graduate student from some university, I don't know, and she's out there. She's a size, well, she's studying seismology. Uh, she's obviously being set up as the romantic counterpart for Kevin Bacon, even though he has a very distinct type. You will have long blonde hair, big green eyes, world-class breasts, that won't quit and legs that go all the way up. Earl, uh, you know, gives him a lot of crap for that. Damn it, Valentine. You won't go for any gal unless you fix that stupid list of yours from top to bottom. Well, sure. Yeah, and it's dumber than my hind end. I mean, like that, that, uh, Bobby Lynn Dexter. Tammy Lynn Baxter. Don't matter. They're all the same. Dead weight. Ooh, I broke a nail. <sighs> Makes my skin crawl. Well, I'm a victim of circumstance. I thought you called it your pecker. 
and Rhonda is not that. You know, she's a very pretty girl. She's played by Finn Carter. She also was in a movie that I loved as a kid, but it was so obscure. It was called How I Got Into College. It was really funny. Anyway, she was in that. And so she tells them that there have been some weird readings on her, you know, machines or whatever. They are driving out of town and they see the old town drunk that they know up a, like a power line, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. And they think that he's just crawled up there and passed out. So uh, they play rock, paper, scissors, and of course Val loses, so he has to go up there to try to drag this guy down. But when he gets up there, he realizes he's not drunk, he's dead. And they take him to the town doctor's trailer. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the, the doctor says, well, it wasn't a heart attack or anything, he died of dehydration. He had to have been up there for three or four days. Um, And of course that's mysterious. And then we get a cool scene with a sheep farmer, and he's just kind of hoeing rows in his garden, and his sheep start to freak out, and he's kind of, you know, puzzled by that, but he keeps doing his thing, and then... I don't feel like we see much, but we see that something happens to him, and when Val and Earl come around, they see that his place is torn up, and, and all of his sheep are dead, and so they're looking for him, and they can't find him. But they see his hat laying in his garden, and so Val picks up the hat, and his face is underneath it. And obviously now they know something's wrong. They head back into town to warn everybody, but they think that there's some psycho killer on the loose. And I read that initially that's what the filmmakers had intended. They didn't want there to be any suggestion of a monster until later in the movie. They wanted the audience also to think that this was going to be more of kind of a psycho killer kind of movie, only then to reveal the monster later. But the studio wanted a creature movie, Um, and so they made them film some scenes that indicated the creature early on. So so we know it's a monster early on, but it's, it's relatively slowly revealed. The first way that it's revealed is Val and Earl... First, there's this road crew working, um, and they warn them as they're coming back into town that something bad is going on. And then they go back into perfection, and the people in perfection are like, okay, well, there's something scary, and we're in this big valley, and so we can't reach anybody outside. So Val and Earl, you guys go out to Bixby and get help. So they go out to get help, but the road has collapsed, or, or... Something has collapsed down over it because the road crew has been killed, and they find the dead road crew. So they're going to head back into perfection, but their car gets tied up. The truck gets tied up on something. They finally break free, and when they get back to town, there's this huge snake-like thing attached to their back axle, and that's what had... uh, tied them up and that's kind of the first sense we get of the monster but even that it's it's a misleader yeah it doesn't give you the full scope of what this monster is going to be right and this is 20 minutes into the movie the the movie again ninth tight 98 minutes it's gone by so quickly it feels like 10 yeah that's Mm -hmm. how quickly all this happens and so we get another scene with a guy and his wife uh, who are clearly out building a house and maybe living in a trailer while they're doing that. And I thought that this scene was the most terrifying of all of them uh, because it is really seriously scary and sad. Mm-hmm. You know, they're out there and they've got this generator going and suddenly all the power goes out. It's nighttime and he goes over to find the generator and sees that the generator has been like sucked into the ground. And when he pulls the cord away, it's just like it's been chewed up. And then suddenly uh, he starts sinking into the ground 
he's getting pulled down by this thing, but it's just a heart-wrenching scene where this guy is screaming and he's yelling and, and there's nothing he can do and his wife is clawing at him and, and trying to pull him out and there's tears in her eyes and he just slowly, slowly, slowly goes under. And I thought, this is really quite dark for this movie. Like, I don't mm-hmm. rem- I mean, I just don't remember that scene. I don't remember it being so dark at that time or maybe when I was a kid, you know, I just didn't see it quite the same way. My wife, she remembers this too and so we were able to watch this together which again, thank you Francis for that opportunity. I always love these movies we can watch together and you know, she just could barely watch it. She's like, oh, this is awful, you know? Uh, and, she- <laughs> <laughs> and so... This woman goes to uh, the car and uh, tries to start the car, but there's the keys aren't. Well, the keys are in there. I can't remember. She no, the, the yeah, the keys aren't in it. But somehow uh. she gets the lights on. I don't know. Anyway, the car starts to sink into the ground as well, and she gets pulled down, and the car gets pulled down into the ground upright. And this scene I do remember because it's quite, it's cool. It shows you from far back, just kind of over the hill, where you just see these two beams of light streaking up into the sky, kind of wiggling back and forth, and eventually one of them goes out, and then the other one goes out, and the car's buried, you know, but you don't see mm-hmm. the, fi- the finale. But when Kevin, uh, I'm sorry, when Kevin, I'm just going to call him when Kevin Bacon, when Val, <laughs> <laughs> and Earl go out there to find them, I guess, because they they, they go out to warn people and uh, they find, you know, no sign of them. And they said, that's odd. I wonder where their car is. Uh, well, maybe, you know, they just took off. And he says, well, where's that music coming from? Val does. And they walk over to the spot in the ground. And as they pull aside the dirt, there are the headlights of the car shining up at them. Uh, and that was just iconic to me. I don't know why that scene really stuck in my head, but I just thought it was really clever. But as far as it being as dark as it was, man, I that that came out of left field for me. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, it's the doctor and his wife, the same doctor that they had uh, taken the dead guy to. And you're right. I mean, I think it's just, it's seeing them being torn apart, I think is what is heart-wrenching. Um, and you can pint, kind of put yourself not maybe in a giant killer worm situation, but in a situation (laughs) where you don't know what's happening and something bad is happening to your loved one and you can't help them. Uh, Yeah, it's it's kind of a helpless. And then, you know, the wife getting submerged in the car, I mean, that's, uh, it's it's a frightening uh, image and and she's she's all panicked. And, And I also read that, you know, that was supposed to be a much more elaborate effect. We were supposed to see the car being submerged more. She was supposed to bust out of the windshield and and be standing on the hood of the car as it was submerged, and then she would get sucked down into the sand. But they just ran out of time. Uh, They filmed it at night, and they ran out of nighttime. (laughs) The day came, and they just had to move on. And so, But I actually really... It's maybe one of those happy accidents, because that that scene with the beams of light um, shining up in the air in a really unnatural way, Mm. you know, as far as car headlights are concerned, and then slowly one goes out and then the other goes out. So you get the impression that it's been completely submerged. I actually thought it was really effective. So uh, much better. Yeah. 
It's like, you know, when the when the shark in Jaws doesn't work anymore. You get a better effect. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't remember how this happens. You know, it's so funny because uh, Val and Earl just keep going back and forth. Like, yeah. they keep trying to get out of town, and then something happens, and then they have to go back. And then they send them out again, and then they have to come back. So I don't remember exactly how it happens, but eventually they get sent out on horseback. And there's this, you know great horseback riding scene through the desert Um, (laughs) but of course eventually the monsters uh, attack the horses and get the horses and this is then when we get the full reveal Um, one of the what they eventually the Chinese guy Chang eventually names them and he names them Graboids and that's the name they keep throughout the whole rest of the series like that becomes their official name it's such a corny name you know and it's supposed to be it's just funny (laughs) yeah it's hilarious but one of the Graboids exposes its true self and it's this huge worm it's really reminiscent of the worms from Dune Um, in that it's subterranean and it travels really fast and what makes it a little bit different, I guess, is it's the snake things are actually, they, they come out of its mouth. Like, I don't know if it's like tongues or whatever, but they come out of its mouth like tentacles and then they can grab onto things and draw them back into the big worm's mouth. Uh, and that's how it eats. And uh, it pops up out of the ground and, you know, rears up and roars at them and they see how big it is. And then it chases them and they're running next to this big concrete ravine. And eventually they come to a place where they have to jump uh, across this ravine. And uh, Val's like, we'll make it, we'll make it. And they jump, and of course they don't make it, Uh, and so they're down in this ravine. But then the worm runs into the concrete wall and dies uh, from the impact. Yeah. And so they've they've got one, and Rhonda shows up, and she sees it, and um, Kevin Bacon digs up. One one of my it's such a stupid line, but it's so funny. Um, We you know Rhonda and Val are kind of talking, and then or no, excuse me, Rhonda and Earl are talking, and then we hear Val from off screen. Hey, hey, check this out! I found the ass in. (laughs) <laughs> and it and it cuts over to him and he's dug up the whole thing and he's pulling up the hind end of it and gosh i don't know it's probably 20 feet long yeah good four feet maybe five feet across it's a great big thing and it looks very alien and we don't even know where these things come from and it's never explained right why these things suddenly jumped up and we're doing it like were they always kind of in this area did they get awakened somehow are they from outer space or whatnot and I don't remember. I'm pretty sure I saw the sequel. There have been like six, five or six. Do you do you know six. if it gets explained at some point? I don't know. I don't remember. I've seen them all. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I've seen them all. And I don't remember if it's ever explained or not. And the characters speculate, but they, they just don't know. You know, at one point, Rhonda, you know, she says, well, there are no fossils of them. But maybe they predate fossils, but that would make them billions of years old 
or whatever, millions, I don't know. And um, she's like, and we've never seen one until now. And, you know, good question. <laughs> Where have they been, <laughs> you know, all this time? How has nobody ever seen one in all this time? And it's not explained here. I don't know if it's explained later or not. I mean, the in the future movies, the creatures continue to evolve and they turn into different things and they build on you know, the mythology of them. But I don't know if it's ever explained where they come from. But yeah, I mean, even within the context of the movie, it's a little, because uh, mm. Edgar, the guy who was up on the power lines, they said he'd been up there for three or four days. Well, in that time, nobody noticed them, you know? like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it turns out, you know, they think they've killed this one and they're all excited. You know, they're planning what they're going to do. They're going to sell it. They're going to make all this money. And then Rhonda's like, wait a second. And she pulls out her seismographs and she realizes that she's gotten readings from different areas at the exact same time. So based on the readings that she's gotten, she speculates that there are three more of them. Mm. Um, and it turns out that there are. And uh, so, and, and one of them comes and starts chasing them right away. It's just like a movie like this. You know, there's always a scientist, right? There's always some scientist yeah. who's got to be there, part of the group, who can impart this important information that nobody else could possibly know. <laughs> yeah. It's part of the formula. It's kind of funny. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. And it, it again, it goes back to those B-movies. There were always, you know, there was always a scientist there to explain things that were going on. But uh, this leads to one of my favorite parts of the movie, just because it's so fun and cute and silly. And another one of the Graboids shows up and starts chasing them. They're trying to get to Rhonda's truck but this is when they figure out that um these uh creatures operate by listening to the vibrations in the ground and so if they if they stand perfectly still the creatures can't locate them directly you know they can get kind of close but if they're not making any movement then then they're kind of blind the creatures are kind of blind to them and they also uh you know as they're running away from this thing one of them says get up on the boulders because they're in the desert and there are all these big rock formations and they figure out that if they get up on these big rock formations then the things can't get to them and so they sit up there all night one night uh, and they keep testing the ground to see if the thing's waiting for them, and it is. I mean, it's it's just waiting them out. And they say, oh, that must have been how they got Edgar, you know? He mm -hmm. sat up there for three or four days until he just died. So they don't know what to do, but Rhonda's truck is probably, I don't know, 150 yards away, and while Val and Earl are arguing about what they should do, Rhonda grabs <laughs> where this came from, I have no idea, but there are these huge poles laying around right next to the rock formation and she grabs one and i had never noticed this before either but it made me smile like she grabs one of these poles and the pole that she grabs couldn't have been longer than four feet long mm -hmm. and then they then they use them to pole vault from rock formation to rock formation and the reason that i said the one that she grabbed couldn't have been more than four feet long is because when they actually start pole vaulting the poles are like eight feet long like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> significantly bigger than when they actually grabbed them but it's just fun imagery you know because like they do this long shot of this long line of uh, rock formations and all three of them are just pole vaulting in unison you know one right behind the 
the other it's cute, to yeah. the next. Yeah, it's it's fun and it's silly. They get to the truck and the worm chases them, but they get away and they get back to town. Then once they're back in town, that's kind of you know, we still got a good amount of the movie left, but really most of the rest of it is kind of a showdown in town where they have to get everybody together. And they, they start out in the store and then the Graboids attack and everybody ends up on the roof. I don't know. There's a lot that goes there's on. There's a lot of stuff. But, uh, yeah. yeah, but it's really, you know, at that point, just kind of falling under siege and uh, trying to stay safe. Well, you know, and I think the action in this movie is really well done. In every situation, there's always a moment where you're just like, how in the world are these people going to get out of this? Uh, and uh, and there always is some crazy, weird thing that they do to figure it out. And it's really satisfying in that way. I was reading a screenwriter uh, the other day was giving advice. I think it was, um, I can't I can't remember who it was, uh, but he's, he's written the, one of the, the last uh, couple Mission Impossible movies with Tom Cruise. And he was talking about how to write good action. And he was like, you need to put your character in impossible situations then anything that that comes up you know you can bring in other things it only makes it worse they can get lucky but it's got to be bad luck you know and and so uh-huh. it's just like as an audience you're constantly wondering how in the world can they get past this and i feel like the movie does a really good job of that this scene in the you know the store a lot of the people in town are already in there uh, and uh, talking about what they're going to do and how they're going to make a break for the mountains because in the mountains they're safe because they're mountains and right. so these creatures can't get there and then they can get over to Bixby and get help on who's going to go do that and what truck are they going to use and how are we going to outrun them and that sort of thing. And the worm comes in and, and it eats Walter, which is yeah. really sad, you know. And then they end up climbing up on the shelves uh, inside the store and hopping from shelf to shelf. It's kind of like the pole vaulting, really, except without poles. They're, they're running across the top of these shelves, hopping from shelf to shelf, and then climbing up onto the roof through a opening that's at the far end of the room. This is where things things do get a little muddy and a little weird with the creature because supposedly this thing can't see. Mm-hmm. All it can do is sense vibrations. Yet it's able to figure some things out and do some things that seem like it would require sight. Like it would require knowing exactly what these people are doing. I mean, they're not on the ground. They're leaping from thing to thing. But the next shot we see is two of these tentacles have grabbed the base of one of these shelving units. And it's very deliberately pushing it over to to set them, you know, going down like dominoes. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, there's some holes in this, (laughs) you know. And there's several of these moments. I just feel like, you know, of course, when they made this movie, I very much doubt that they thought that it would have spawned six sequels and and there's a seventh one on the way like i don't think that this is going anywhere anytime soon but yeah it's i don't know like maybe it's just knowledge we don't have is that kind of well i don't know i mean i feel like they were trying to pack as much into the one movie i assume they only thought they were going to get one movie it doesn't really make all that much sense like in the same way where did they come from why are we just seeing them now right and then as soon as they show up they immediately get really smart like yeah <laughs> they learn they figure out the the people's behaviors and and they learn and and it's almost like mentally they're evolving at just a ridiculous rate you know like yeah they set traps and stuff the mm-hmm. graboids do and that's it that's some pretty sophisticated stuff 
is. <laughs> it's like they're learning. They're you know they're t- they're burrowing under their homes to try it in their their home. So once everybody's kind of up on the roof, Rhonda's over on a water tower, and the other family's up on their roof, and the one guy is up on his trailer, and they can all kind of see each other and yell at each uh-huh. other from above. You know, there's yelling and stuff going on. You think, doesn't that create some vibration in the ground? Apparently not, because the thing is pretty silent when that's going on, and they're not so worried about doing that. Yet, later on in the movie, they do a lot of yelling to try to distract the creature, and it seems to work to a certain extent. So, it's a little uneven on that. And then, here's the other thing that bothered me, if I'm going to get nitpicky. And, you know, I like to get nitpicky. (laughs) When they first kill that first creature, right? They're in this culvert, Uh and that creature barrels into that concrete wall, and that's what kills it. Well, it barrels into the concrete wall, but it kind of breaks through a little bit. So you can see that Mm -hmm. the concrete wall isn't that thick. Okay, fine. So something harder than dirt is going to kill the creature. Yet we see them burst through a lot of stuff in this movie, including the cinder block wall bunker of Bert and Heather later on. Uh And it has doesn't have that effect at all, (laughs) you know, of of, of killing. Yeah, to be fair, it's when, when when it hits that, uh, concrete ravine it's it's you know going at full speed chasing these guys and it hits it at full speed once everybody else gets up on the roof in town then they start thinking about who's not with them and and that's Bert and Heather and so Bert and Heather are down in their basement which is like you said like a bunker it's like a I mean there are guns you know just lining the walls and uh, you know it's very I don't know. It, it's it's kind of crazy. It's frankly. a funny. <laughs> it's a funny reveal because early in the movie, and we don't see them a whole lot before this. But you know, every time they come in, they, they'll mention something about guns, or it's, you know, you get the sense, okay, this is the couple that's into guns or into survival or whatnot. Yeah. And then we see them in this bunker. I originally thought, oh, it's just like their basement. Yeah. She she turns on a machine. That's what sets the vibrations. I'm not sure what that machine is. Is it some kind of thing you put bullets in? And it was yeah. You know what that is? No, I mean she was putting. I couldn't tell if shells? she was putting. Yeah, like shells, like casings. I don't. I yeah. don't know. I, it was some kind of machine. It looked like a like a stone polisher or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, like an agitator kind of thing. But but it's filmed against you know their workbench there, and so you know they're and and they're talking and whatnot, and he's got a CB, uh, the radio, and it seems a little milit- militant, you know, militaristic like. But it's funny then when this graboid bursts through that wall at them. They run away from it, and they run back in the opposite wall, which we see for the very first time, I think, at least that's the impression I got, is just guns <laughs> from yeah. floor to ceiling. It's just a huge rack. And they start grabbing the guns off the wall. All of them are clearly loaded already. Grabbing the guns off the wall and then shooting them out at the monster, and then grabbing another gun and shooting them out at the monster. It's It's so funny, and it's so funny how that's just the fact that they waited to show us that wall of guns until they absolutely needed it was brilliant well and it's also funny because it goes on for quite a long time like i'm sure in real time it's only a minute or a minute 30 but it seems like it goes on for a really long time where they're just unloading gun after gun after gun into this monster but it's just a you know the people back in town they hear over the cb they hear the monster break through and you know they all 
all get this these sad looks on their face like, oh, that's it. But then they start hearing the guns firing, and it goes on for so long. But I just really like this scene because they just unload these guns into this thing, and it takes forever. And eventually, Bert busts through this glass casing over this enormous <laughs> shotgun, which they later refer to as an elephant gun. And he unloads a couple of huge rounds um, from that into it. And eventually, they kill it. And I like that. You know, like, they're not invincible, these monsters. They're just really tough. But you can kill them uh, if you have the right resources. Um, And what I was getting at before was, you know, that one Graboid just hit the concrete super hard at full strength. Um, but this one, you know, they the walls kind of start shaking before it eventually pushes through. So to yeah. me, it almost seemed like it, it's, you know, it didn't hit it head on, kinda just loosened. like in the town where, it, yeah, like it was like kind of loosening up the foundation and then kind of pushed its way through. So that didn't bother me so much. I, okay. I And I just love that set piece. Oh, yeah. I just love that set piece. And it looks really cool when the wall collapses and the monsters, you know, it's just its big head, but it's rearing all over the place and roaring at them and the you know the little snakes that are coming out of its mouth and one of them grabs heather at some point and but they kill it yeah and so now they're down to what one or two i don't remember there's just a couple left and and all the effects are practical which is very nice Mm -hmm. i mean this was before we really had too much of that cg i mean a couple years later jurassic park would blow us away but up until that point and 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 it's really well done i mean it's not a cheap movie i mean it is an it's a lower budget film for what it is but it, it doesn't look it i thought they did a quite a good job with all that oh yeah I like it a lot. A bunch of stuff happens. Um, I think Nestor gets killed and his truck is swallowed. They all are on the roof, but the the monsters are smart now, and so they're they're burrowing underneath these homes, and the homes are starting to collapse. So um, they've come up with this plan, and it's a weird plan, but their reasoning is that they can't just get in their truck because we've seen it swallow vehicles, but he has this cat you know it's caterpillar it's, it's got treads it's like a tank yeah piece of farm farm machinery and he's like that thing weighs so, you know so many tons so it's not going to be able to do that to that and so we'll hook it we'll hitch it up to this other semi-trailer thing that's that's junky that's sitting over here and we'll use that to sweep everybody around we just got to get out to it first and so they come up with this plan and they do it and it's really great it's a great action sequence earl and val are arguing about who's going to go out and get the cat. I'm making the run for the cat. Like hell you are. Get real, Earl. I'm faster than you. Yeah, but I'm best at driving the cat. Not while I'm around. Look, damn it, now listen to me. I'm older and I'm wiser. Yeah, well, you're half right. They do their rock, paper, scissors thing, and Earl wins. And just as he's about to go, Val says, hey, good luck, buddy. And he elbows him in the ribs a little too hard. And uh, Earl doubles over, and Val takes that opportunity to run off and do it anyway. So, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of an unexpected moments like this are really peppered throughout the movie and really kind of keep you on your toes. And it, it's it's really fast-paced. You know, the action keeps up. There's not a dull moment. And, like, it's just clever. They come up with this plan before even they decide who's going to run off. Miguel says, why don't we turn on this little lawnmower tractor and and send it off down the road and then they'll chase that as a distraction so they do that and then and it works and it, you know the the monsters follow it and then Val takes off running but then the tractor 
turns over, and so their attention is back on Val, and he's running. Rhonda yells at Val, stop, stop, they're coming. And so he stops, and so the monsters stop, and they're probably within like five feet of them, and they're sending out their snake tongues to like feel around and they're super close to him and so she comes up with this idea because she's on a water tower she climbs down the uh, ladder a little bit and she kicks and bursts the pipe so that the water falls onto the ground and causes vibrations which draws the monsters which is just clever yeah so now she's in danger (laughs) yeah they right they come and they start trying to take down the water tower meanwhile he gets the cat and he gets it hooked up to the trailer and he starts going through town and everybody's jumping in and uh he gets Rhonda and you know they make it out to the Gummer's house uh to Bert and Heather's house and um they take too long this frustrated me they take way too long to get in cuz they're like inventorying their guns or something <laughs> and, um my partner watched it with me too and i like i was yelling at the tv i'm like hurry up are you serious what is wrong with you come on like, <laughs> like they're taking forever but they all get in and it seems like everything's great and they're going to make it there you know there's nothing that the monsters can do to get them and then the monsters set a trap. They dig out part of uh, the path or, or whatever so that the, the cat falls into this trench and is disabled. Um, and then they're stuck there. Yep. Fortunately, Bert and uh, Heather have made some homemade dynamite out of mm-hmm. household chemicals. <laughs> <laughs> In the right proportions. <laughs> right. They use one and they throw it and one of the monsters one of the graboids eats it and blows up and so then there's only one graboid left but this one last graboid is the one with the stumpy tongue because it's the one that's tongue got torn off by the truck earlier and it's apparently really smart and once the one gets killed by the dynamite then this one is too smart to fall for that and he spits it out (laughs) yeah right but they use the dynamite to like if they throw the dynamite it Every time it explodes, it hurts. I mean, even if even if the graboid's not right next to it, the the vibrations are so intense that it hurts them and they run away. Uh, the the monster does. So they use it to help them get to a set of rocks, and then eventually um, Val comes up with uh, a plan, and this is their big fishing plan <laughs> yeah <laughs> they go fishing and they've got this really long it's uh, it looks like a rope but it's kind of weird and bert and heather just have everything in their pack all right how much we need i don't know but pretty quick uh 15 seconds at least confuses that cannon fuse what the hell you use it for a cannon this is hilarious and they tie it you know they light one of these things and they tie it to this and then toss it way out like a fishing line get the graboid to eat it basically like you said and then the graboid explodes and the second time they do this uh, the graboid eats it and they think they've got it but then it spits it out way up in the air back toward the rocks and it lands on their whole stash of explosives and they all have to leap off the rocks really fast and everything explodes so now they're out there without their explosives except for one Val still had in his hand and he has to come up with a real quick plan because they're all going to be sunk here in a minute. Mm-hmm. And so he tears across towards the cliff. You know, we saw this cliff earlier in the movie. 
It's the one he was peeing off of right at the mm-hmm. beginning, yeah. Exactly. Again, this, it's just really neat how all this kind of wraps around. Uh, he tears off towards the cliff, and the Graboid's chasing after him, and, and he gets to the cliff with his buddies. He tears the fuse a little bit so that it's really, really short, uh, and he's like, not yet, not yet, not yet. Okay, now. And he lights the fuse, and he tosses it behind the Graboid so that it shocks him and makes him run away, which, which would be directly towards him on the edge of the cliff. And at the last minute, he leaps over it as it crashes through the side of the cliff and he looks over the side as this thing is falling and says can you fly you sucker can you fly and it can't fly it hits the ground and explodes yeah and it totally gross you know like it just splats like a water balloon (laughs) on the ground below and that's pretty much the end I mean there's a little bit of uh, resolution where we see you know of course Val and and uh, Rhonda are gonna get together and yeah and if i were to criticize anything that was so unnecessary in this movie there weren't many moments except at the beginning and at the very end of this sort of chemistry kind of playful flirting between the two of them most of the movie is everybody doing what they've got to do to survive it felt like that romantic subplot was really shoehorned in there you know yeah there was i mean not that this is really all that relevant but there was a part when the whole big showdown in the town. Um, there was a part where the monsters were chasing Rhonda, and she got caught up in some barbed wire, and she get her legs get tangled up in it. And <laughs> Val comes to try to help her, and he says, "Get out of your pants!" and and so that's what she has to do. And I read, I just thought it was just a funny anecdote that um, she didn't rehearse that scene, and she didn't want to rehearse that scene because she wanted her reactions to be realistic as though she had to de-pants in front of Kevin Bacon in five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was, was kind of funny. And there, were, and then right after that, a scene that we uh, kind of skipped over. I mean, it, it all happens so fast. It's easy to skip over things, but there's a, a point where it's chasing them, and it chases them. They're running across the porch of the store, and it's like a slatted porch mm. and uh, as they're running the slats of the porch are just flying up behind them um and it's just such a cool practical effect it you know is. it's uh, there there was some sort of mechanism under there that was f- firing these boards up right behind them and it just looked really cool uh and just in general you know the practical effects i think they looked great you know things looked pretty real for the most part i mean the blood and stuff of the graboids i mean it just looked like some kind of gelatinous goo it was cool looking and it didn't look super fake and they did a good job of not allowing us to see behind the curtain you know it's just yeah. they revealed they revealed enough that we could see and it looked pretty realistic and uh, I would just say that overall, for the whole movie, that was kind of the case, and I just, it's it's cool, you know. Yeah. And, and I, 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 I'm sure they expected this to be a one-off, but because of how well it did in uh, video sales and rentals, they got a sequel, and then a, I don't remember what there was. I think there were two sequels, and then there was a prequel, and then there were more sequels, and mm-hmm. they, you know, and they kept doing. Have you seen the sequels? I haven't. I think I saw the second one a long time ago, and I think the one thing that links them all together, right, is is um is the uh, the character Michael Bert. Grossman. Yeah, Michael. Yeah, Grossman. he yeah he's in all of them, and I think that one of the 
the uh, sequels was actually the pilot for the TV series, which actually ran for like 13 episodes, and hmm. then it got canceled. And that's the only one I haven't seen. I didn't, I, I've seen the movie that was the pilot, but I haven't, I didn't watch the show. But, uh, you know, they, they kept building on them, like in the second one, I think it was, like apparently the Graboids, that's kind of, they're, they're like butterflies and like that they go through a metamorphosis and the next thing that they they turn into like they're called shriekers and they're these little like two-legged things they kind of look like those chattery teeth from when we were kids (laughs) with the little feet Uh (laughs) because they just got they're just like these they're like a potato you like just a big head and mouth on these two little teeth um and they called them shriekers and then eventually the shriekers uh evolved into these creatures that could fly, but the way that they fly is that they would ignite their farts, <laughs> and, that, and that would shoot them into the air. So they were ass blasters, oh my and gosh. like they, they, I know they get these crazy names in every one. And then in the last one, I don't remember them all. I have seen them all, but I don't remember them all. The last one was called like Tremors, a cold day in hell, or something. And um, at this point, they are relying pretty heavily on cgi and like the the graboids are jumping up into the air and flying through the air and then burrowing (laughs) back down into the ground but what i will say you know they're they're pretty low budget uh the sequels all are and it shows uh, but they're all entertaining. They're not great movies, any of them, by any stretch of the imagination. But they're they're fun. I've watched every one. And there's a new one in pre-production, and uh, Michael Grossman is is going to be in it, and uh, I'll watch it too. I mean, yeah. they're they're just they're fun, no brainers. They're it's just good, silly fun. Well, I, I really, I enjoy this movie, and I was worried, you know, going back and watching it so many years later that I would revise my opinion of it, and I really haven't. It was just as fun now, maybe even more fun for me now, and maybe that's just because we've ended up watching so much schlock lately that it's good to see something mm-hmm. a little nice, but yeah. And, yeah, and there are just a couple other things, you know, about this film that I think are, are, are cool. There are little moments of comedy and even little subtle things, like at one point, the annoying boy is sitting on the counter while they're talking, and he's like eating gummy worms. You know, blink it mm-hmm. if you miss it, but if you do notice it, and we did because we happened to pause the video at that moment to go do something, and I was like, wait a second, is that a jar of gummy worms next to him? <laughs> and there's another point when the Graboid's tentacles are going through the store, searching through the store, and it reaches out, and it like squeezes a can of tomatoes, you know, so it looks like it's, you know, something bloody or whatever and, and then uh-huh. just these little things peppered throughout the movie that I caught this time around that I don't think I caught the first time and just kind of showed the care uh, and the joy you know that went into it it's it's a movie that I would say you know just feels full of joy through in and throughout except when that old guy and his wife yeah. get sucked into yeah. the sand the the director of this movie Ron um, Underwood this was one of his first big movies uh, and he went on after this to do almost a movie a year for a little while he did City Slickers after this also a very well regarded mm-hmm. movie Heart and Souls Speechless Mighty Joe Young then he got to the Adventures of Pluto Nash and we all know that that didn't do so well yeah. and he's been all over TV since then yeah. Big stuff, yeah, like uh, that. Once upon a time, the Disney characters. I mean, you know, he's he's 
been very successful. And the writers of this movie wrote Short Circuit before this, and that's what I'd like to go back to and watch again, because... I again, love that movie. I remembered loving it as a kid, and I, and I haven't seen it since, and I really hope that my feeling of it isn't doesn't get tainted by watching it now. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they did Short Circuit, uh, which was a great film. A bit of trivia, you know, that we found about them is that they got the idea for th- this movie. They worked in the U.S. Navy, uh, and they were, you know, cinematographers, and they were shooting um, footage for instructional videos, basically. And they're out in the desert standing on some rocks and thought, what would it be like if there was something here and we could not leave these rocks. Mm -hmm. And the idea evolved from uh, a concept that they started calling land sharks, (laughs) Uh (laughs) which is, which is such a goofy name. Uh, And then of course, Saturday Night Live used to do a thing about land sharks. So they had to change that. Uh, But at one point, you know, it was like beneath perfection, uh, which I guess gives off that, uh, that feeling of the mystery that they originally wanted to have before they settled on tremors. But uh, yeah, those guys um, wrote some really good movies too. They did batteries, not included. Oh, it's a cute movie. I love that movie. You know, they did the st- the screenplay for Heart and Souls as well. So, well, anyway, yeah, I would totally recommend this movie to people. And I, that's kind of what I expected to say when we first sat down to watch it. And I, yeah. I was happy to uh, to have that affirmed this time around. Yeah, I'm I'm glad I'm glad we did it. Yeah, like I said, I was a little reluctant just because I've seen it so many times. But it was fun to sit down and watch it from start to to finish again. And um, it was just as fun this time as it was in the beginning. And so, uh, thank you for the request. It was well worth it. It sure was. Well, we had a great time doing this, and we're looking forward to doing a couple more requests this month uh, before we go into February, where we might have another theme month planned for you. We'll see. Until then, uh, you can catch us on Google Play, on iTunes, or on our website, twoguys.red40net.com, if you want to catch up with some of our back episodes. We have uh, over 150 of them now. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend and help spread the word. And also, if you have more requests, please send them our way. You can find us on Facebook. Facebook if you search two guys and a chainsaw. You can leave a message for us there on our website as well. We'll be sure to get it. We respond to every message we get. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys and a chainsaw. Ah!